Hello and welcome to The Found Cause, where we have found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Michael, the man behind the machine, and to my right is... Sebastian, the bookkeeper. And all the way over the airwaves in big form, it's... Theodore, under the person... Oh, no. Theodore, under the PC. Under the person of Christ. And you, you did. That was a clean recovery. You know, gentlemen, uh, if you've watched this podcast for long enough, you know that we all have our different niches. Like we just said, I'm the man behind the machine, meaning I just own the equipment and own the airtime. Uh, Sebastian's the man behind the book because... I own the books. He owns the books, like way too many books. In fact, to total side tangent, uh, I got into an app called Goodreads. I'm probably the last guy on Goodreads. Anyway, I got, I got Sebastian on at least. And Sebastian like starts adding all the books that he's ever read. And it's just this list of 56, like the most obscure desert father stuff that you've ever seen in your life. Plus like one regular book. I forget what it was. Anyways, it was uh, quite the thing to look at. And Theodore, and this, I'm highlighting this, doing this whole thing because Theodore, Theodore is like, what would you call yourself? I mean, you call yourself under person of Christ, but that's not very descriptive, is it? What's your, what's your niche here? <laughs> well, also, oh, under the PC, the personal computer. So on uh, Google, we'll say that because I like thinking about a random philosophy things. And yes. Such our thinker, our philosophizer, and um, what you don't know, or maybe you do because you've watched the podcast uh, diligently, is that Theodore is also like the driver of half of our discussions. He's the one that comes up with a lot of the, the weird topics we talk about because he's the philosophizer, and he does some good work in coming up with not only the topics, but like episode ideas, including random outreach to random groups. Um, we say that because we recently had a discussion with three Mormon fellows, and I would never have driven that. Sebastian never would have driven that. Theodore, diligently in his own free time, decides to contact many uh, cults, uh, and the Mormons picked up. And so, um, I say cults, of course Mormons don't appreciate that, um, call us a cult, I mean, I, we'll do the battle of the cults, but uh, traditionally ascribed to being a cult, and we would we would agree with that. Um, just as In everybody's defense, uh, my atheist friend says, everybody's in a cult. So, and I responded to him, well, some are better than others. Take it for what you will. I mean, cult's just a derogative word, so maybe I should stop using it. But I, I don't agree with the Book of Mormon. As we all know, we did an episode recently on five reasons we are not Mormons. So mm -hmm. if you want to check that out, um, why we're not Mormons. We also have like a deeper dive into Mormonism and the further description of it um, way back in the archives. But today, we wanted to do a little grab bag. First of all, we wanted to recant to you viewers on how that conversation with the three Mormons went. We want to make sure that we are respectful enough. Of course, we want to outline where we disagree. And I want to emphasize that we do that not because we hate Mormonism, but because we love the Mormons that we talk to, the three men that we talk to, and the Mormons that are possibly listening over the airwaves. It's because we love Mormonism that we must, Mormons in the Mormon movement, that we must deny them Mormonism and show them the flaws of Mormonism. It's not to hate them or their families. It's specifically to show them the truth of the true gospel because without it, they are lost in a false religion. So that is why we do episodes like this. It's why we have the conversation with the three Mormons. Um, that's, that's it. So without further ado, mm -hmm. gentlemen, and then after we talk about the conversation, we'll just do a general grab bag of things because Theodore has been digging hard on some of the headier topics of Mormonism and how they deal with things that we also have to deal with, like the problem of evil. So we'll discuss that too. Sebastian, what was your take? How, how did the conversation go? What were some highlights for you? I was pleasantly surprised how polite they were, even when there were moments of disagreement. So much appreciated and we i would i would say we left in good terms as well i mean we, we were able to can't to kindly say hey, goodbye and wish each other wish each other where well, you know you might yeah. be no, faking we got pushed it. out a window yeah right no one was defenestrated like in prague <laughs> like that second defenestration yeah. goodness yeah so everything went very well and i believe that we were able to lay out our points across well where the distinctions were and starting out where we have in common. It's always good, you know, to lay some foundations and then clarify where we disagree. There was there was a little bit of pushback on the differences, meaning that um, collectively they were saying that we didn't have that many things different. We pretty much um, 
how, how would you even put it? Worship the same God? Or, or I don't even know if that's the right way to put it. But. Yeah, I think, that, I mean, if you know Mormonism, you know the current Mormon playbook. It has not been their playbook for all years, but uh, in the recent two decades, so a decent while, they've been pushing hard that they are fellow Christians and that they should welcome other Christians into the fold and be nice um, instead of trying to show their distinction, show how they're not distinct. So I was expecting that kind of approach. Okay. Uh, what were some, before before I just talk all the time, what were some two highlights and then two lowlights for you? So two things that you appreciated about the conversation and two things you were disappointed in. The receptiveness and willing to, if not, well, definitely, definitely not agree that I know of, but for sure learn sounded like, the impression I got was that we they hadn't had much interaction with Protestants, and as you may, I mean, surely they do because they're on mission. But yes, I'm just speaking like. strictly yeah. from the, from the conversation, and then also their absolute and kind and kind demeanor, right? Is the right word like attitude? And can I say what what I would say? There's one thing that really surprised me. Or should I hold? Should I hold yeah, off? Yeah, keep on it that? in your disappointing. Your two low lights. So one of them is your low light. I assume. Yes, yeah, so the, the low light was trying to erase that dividing line, trying to make us more ecumenical. That's the word, ecumenical. Mm-hmm. With Protestants, come on, we 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 they believe, uh, Mormons believe in three heavens and baptism baptism of the dead. You know the drill, but trying to wash that a little bit that. I did not. I did not appreciate that that much. I would have appreciated a much more clean, clean cut dividing line. And what shocked me, what shocked me, may have been off the cuff, but one of the missionaries said that they also believe that the Prophet Muhammad was indeed visited by an angel. That was a definitely like highlight of something bizarre from the conversation. <laughs> so I don't know. I was, I was I was completely taken aback by by that statement. It hits home because Sebastian is like super into Islam right now and studying it and whatever. Also, like any comment about Islamic history gets him excited. And the fact that um, one of the Mormons was saying that uh, that a real angel visited Muhammad, I I responded in that part of the conversation. Sebastian was just in shock because that's a surprising thing to say considering how different Islam is from Mormonism and how much Islam refutes Mormonism in its own scripture. Um, but my response is, we also believe that Joseph Smith was visited by an angel. I, I thought that would be a real shot across the bow. This is like towards the end of the conversation when we were wrapping up. So you need to make you have sharp points so that we remember and care about the conversation. Um, but he, his response was, really? <laughs> like, like, I thought it was a good angel. No, I believe it's a bad angel. So I said as much. I said, just not the good kind of angel. Um, like, I also, I don't put it past Muhammad having seen a real demon um, and then same with Joseph Smith. Now, it could be total bunk. Um, I also allow for that. But the description of the way Muhammad interacts with his angel, so-called angel, seems like a demonic attack to me. Um, and Joseph Smith's experience, as he recants in the opening of the Book of Mormon, um, at one point in the day after the vision, he falls and is unconscious. I mean, it just seems like it's not it's not typical vision kind of things that you would see. And, and there are other visions of Joseph Smith that are a little bit more disturbing because he, he shared different versions throughout his life. So um, I don't deny it could have been uh, an angelic interaction, just not an angel of light, one masquerading as an angel of light. So, uh, yes, that was a, also a highlight for me as well, or maybe a low light. <laughs> a low light of something wild and bizarre. I would just quickly say that, uh, please, Islam and Mormonism have, they are in polar opposites in Mormonism at least traditionally a belief that you become a god someday and you will get your own planet if you're a good Mormon, of course. You progress towards a holiness and then the god of this planet, Elohim, had a wife which through which Jesus was conceived as a spiritual baby and then was sent down to earth. Just a, That's just a summary, so you know there's more details to that. In the Quran, near the end of the book, it says the, in the chapter of pure monotheism, say, O Prophet, he is Allah, one and indivisible, Allah the sustainer. He has never had offspring, nor was he begotten, and there is none comparable to him. I could go on to other ones in which don't say, don't take when Allah asked Jesus rhetorically, did you take my mom? Did you take your mother and you, Jesus, as deities? Do you tell the people, the Christians, to do that? 
And he just says, oh, no, no. Well, that kind of refutes the whole Mormonism uh, deal in I mean, which it also, multiple gods. Yeah, I mean, it also tries to attack Christianity, of course. I mean, we're both in the bucket there of, of that same attack. But know that we also distinguish ourselves from Islam. I do not believe that he is a true prophet uh, right. or a partial prophet or whatever else. Right. I, I, that would just leave. That would just stick in my memory for a while. <laughs> do you have another low light? So you got the Quran quote, the the statement on Islam, and then also the I would say the, I don't I don't know if it was a struggle, but trying to define justification, I tried to lay it out as I do with people in my church as well. Glorification, getting new bodies, sanctification, your daily walk with God after being saved, justified justification how you're originally brought into the fold of the family of jesus mm -hmm. and to me it was a little bit surprised i mean it was a little bit surprising that when we described salvation by faith alone and that alone justifies you there, there was some struggle i mean i don't know if it's struggle is even the right word but saying that faith and works can indeed are the same thing that we we're saying i don't know if you can put that in better terms no, that's the, the whole battle between uh, man-based religions and God-based religion, the only one, is that in man-based religions, the men have to justify themselves, whether it's via God's help or it's just by themselves. Uh, Mormonism is on the, the with God's help spectrum of things that you um, are saved through grace of God after all that you can do. And I know there's a, there's a statement of the Doctrine and Covenants, things chapter 1, verse 3, if I'm remembering. I have it in my Book of Mormon. Yeah, here it is. Um, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. If you stop there, we'd both be Christian. Um, but then it says, by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Which means they're saying by the obedience. We, we disagree. It's always just frustrating to see. This is how the Bible defines justification in Romans. We can talk about Ephesians. And then they kept saying, yeah, but we're saying the same thing. It is both your faith and your works, two sides of the same coin that come together. But th that is no worse. That is no worse. So that was just a little bit frustrating. And otherwise, it was a, I would say, a pleasant dialogue. Uh, yeah, Theodore, um, two highlights and two lowlights. But before you do that, you were the one that organized this whole whole shindig. So maybe you want to give some background, on, like how you got these guys and, and how you think it went. Oh. Um... <clears throat> Well, I think uh, originally a LDS missionary girl contacted me on Facebook. Oh, so they, they then... started. They opened the shots. They didn't know what they were asking for. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I just started seeing uh, more Mormon ads pa popping up. I noticed how many meeting houses are in our area. And it just started becoming more imminent to me and impactful that oh my goodness we got to reach out to them um if they're especially if they're growing in the area um and i don't know if they are or not but nonetheless um so she said she could put me in contact with missionary in the area and that was the main guy and then he said he has two others with him so we could all get together three v three yeah. Um, then I guess that's basically that. So we did. I mean, I and, I didn't know you could just like call up a Mormon church and be like, yo, can you send me some missionaries? But they are on mission <laughs> and they did come. Um, and you brought cookies. So we met at a neutral church. I guess not that neutral because it's still a regular church. Um, but they, they bravely came up. They were they were garbed up in the the ties and the good clothes. And I was in, I think we were in normal clothes. <laughs> I wasn't in sloppy clothes. I tried to step it up a bit, okay. but what do I know? <laughs> None of us had ties on. In any case, it came in the Mormon attire. I was wearing um, some wool and my Carhartt jacket. I uh, guess. Uh, they ate <laughs> the cookies. Warm. I also ate the cookies. Got some really good cookies. And uh, we started the conversation with what? I mean, you, you described this, Theodore, because you're the, you're up, you're on bat. I don't know what we started the conversation with. Uh, well, well, you just mentioned that we tried to steel man each other's positions just to get a sense of what mm -hmm. we know about each other. And I was going to mention, just maybe in their defense, um, for their potential lack of knowledge of general Protestant Christianity, um, I was thinking, especially because, well, yeah, if they're just going door to door um, or to the Mall of America or something like that, 
it's probably easy to, well, yeah, it's easy to catch anybody off guard. So, and obviously not every Christian is at a point where they can readily, like, offer um, a defense for the hope that they have, as Scripture says, and, like, actually bring up Scriptures that point to this, this, and this. Maybe they can say, okay, sorry, I'm a Christian, I believe this, but they can't really engage much other than that. So maybe they didn't have um, too many experiences with more knowledgeable Protestants like us prior to meeting us. Sure. And, well, I'm not going to save your time. So what were, what were two highlights from you okay. and what were two lowlights for, uh, for the interaction? Well, yeah, just getting together with them. That was really awesome because I'd never... I've actually never spoken with an LDS missionary before or any person in the LDS church. Same. So it was nice to actually get to speak with them. And obviously it was a pleasant experience because they're all um, pleasant people. Um, but maybe they're a little tired due to their duties and how hard they work and such. Um, and it felt like we were trying to extract more interaction with them. Um, maybe they just realized, oh, okay, these people really uh, <laughs> are firm and knowledgeable in what they're talking about. So, I mean, they, they, I, I don't envy them because of what are they, 18, 18, and 19, and we're all 20, right, yeah. 25 up. So, like, it's already kind of an intimidating situation. They're meeting in some church and it's 3v3, so they don't even have the numbers advantage. I mean, that's that's intimidating. So I was not surprised that they were quiet and kind of kind of shy. They, I mean, they opened up towards the end, but they were generally, yes, kind of shy and quiet. We ended up leading a lot of the conversation, is what you mean. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really have anything else right now. Okay. Do you want to go? Yeah. I mean, I love a good story. So uh, like Theodore just said, somehow he naps these guys. I guess they reached out for not them, but somebody in the mission system here in the Twin Cities reached out to him and Theodore, like a bloodhound, follows him out. It's like he like <laughs> tries to get into conversations with Hindus and all the rest. I mean, Theodore is an impressive evangelist like that. And we got the call, me and Sebastian, that we're going to do this. So we drive out to some neutral church on the west side of town and meet with these three. Uh, it's freezing cold outside. We get in, we share the cookies, and we introduce ourselves. We're like, you know, I'm I'm Michael, and I'm 25, and I'm married, and and then we did a little like uh, how we came to Christ thing, and I thought it was very telling and interesting. Now, young people's testimonies are usually just not that impressive because they're young, and we're pretty young, so I mean, <laughs> I guess it's the same boat, but uh, we're a little less young. And so we also asked that they share their testimonies, and we shared ours. So I shared mine. So I shared his. Uh, Theodore shared his. And all three Mormons, had, I mean, they're not the same people, so it's not like they had the exact same upbringing, but their testimony and how they came to Christ really was how they came to become missionaries. And all three of them with some version of uh, my parents did, or I knew people that were missions and how good it was, and so here I am on mission. Which, I, I don't disbelieve that. I believe that's the truth, but that's that's terrible testimony, right? And... Uh, it doesn't have to be brilliant. Like my testimony is just that I came to Christ at four years old because of my mom um, and because, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ and that I grew as a man. But there's like impactful moments of when I started taking the faith seriously and these guys didn't really have that because I don't think they really did. I mean, they didn't convert to Mormonism. They were raised in Mormonism, which is kind of a disadvantage for your testimony at one point. Um, but then also they they never come to Christ. So it's not there in their testimony. Um, again, not to say that they were dumb and not to say that they don't believe what they believe but they didn't have a come to jesus moment because they haven't um so that was telling right off the bat and then like you said theodore we did the steel manning thing i suggested we do it because here they are like meeting with three <laughs> essentially protestant missionaries just not ordained and from different churches and so it, intimidating right so let's do the kind thing and like say kind uh, opinions about the other person's faith to begin with so that we know where we're starting and so i asked the mormons to go first or i, I think they offered to go first and they offered with we don't know anything about protestantism <laughs> one of the guys said you guys believe in heaven and hell which is a distinction and then one of the guys said you believe in god which of course is not a distinction um and then then our middleman the like head of them the, the oldest one um didn't have anything to say now 
they knew about Trinitarianism. We talked about it later in the thing. So they clearly yeah. knew when the, more than they were letting on. So I don't know if they just weren't willing to do the, the steel manning or they weren't really familiar with how you do steel manning, but they, they did not describe Protestantism at all. Right, especially when one of them whips out a brilliant explanation of the Trinity like an hour or two hours later in the conversation. I was like, whoa, okay. Definitely knew something. Yeah, uh, benefit of the doubt, whatever. Maybe they just didn't know. Yeah, what this, this or they were shy at, the big, at first. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, so then we still man their position from the origins of Joseph Smith all the way to Brigham Young and kind of where they are today. Um, they agreed. Accurate. Good, good description of Mormonism. So it was not a stilted one and it wasn't hopefully a biased one. Uh, after that, we said the the base, uh, and I encourage this for any Christians who are talking with Mormons, and that is we both supposedly agree that the Bible is a source of truth. We believe it's the source of truth, but a source of truth for the Mormons. So which one of our faiths better adheres to the Bible? Because clearly we have distinctions, um, although they didn't point out any. I guess the heaven and hell thing is a distinction. Um, let's talk about the Bible and where, where our faiths might differ with the Bible and see which one compares better. And so then... The Mormons didn't have much, again, they didn't, <laughs> they had much to go on. So we, we led the conversation with, I think, um, you started, Theodore, on the can men become yeah. gods conversation, right? Sure. And um, I believe I pulled up, like, there are two kind of things. Uh, can men <laughs> become gods and then, like, the nature of God mm-hmm. being before all things, having created all things, and being uh, one god triune right and i went i went to their scriptures and read their scriptures yeah, you went um, all through the book of mormon showing um the the mormon god to be the creator of all because if you don't know your history of mormonism the book of mormon is the earliest work of joseph smith and it isn't that much distinguished from christianity except for it's got like a bunch almost all of the book of mormon is just the ancient history and then a bunch of repeating of the bible and so it isn't that distinguishing. It doesn't have a lot of Mormon doctrine in it. And so Theodore was able to find like, you know, cut and grab portions of it that sound a lot like the regular old triune creator of all Christian God, because I think that's really what Joseph had in mind in the beginning and that it changes. Um, so you point out some of those things and the Mormons are silent. Um, and then we ask, so is this what you believe that he's the creator of all things? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> that he's the eternal God. Yeah. Now they have different definitions of what eternal means because of weird Mormon doctrine. So whatever they can, they can kind of truthfully say that just like liberal Christians can truthfully say they believe that Jesus rose from the dead um, when they believe that he was not God and that he was just a regular person and that he rotted in the ground and never came back from the dead. Like they can say, oh yeah, I believe that he raised from the dead. Um, I don't think that's a very fair because we mean different things by eternal God. So what a, mm-hmm. it was a terrible, I thought terrible start to the conversation because they were not willing to stand for Mormon distinctions and that they believed that God was like a man once before us. I don't know if they were again dodging us um, on that and they just didn't want to discuss the distinctions and that's why they weren't talking about it or if they truly didn't know. But I have a, another thing in my book of Mormon that I didn't mention to them there. Cause I was like, whatever we, if they want, if they, <laughs> if they either don't think that there's a distinction between us or they don't know about a distinction between us, I don't need to inform them. Let's just keep moving on. Cause maybe, <laughs> maybe we can push them all the way to the same page and everything. Um, but in case you're unfamiliar uh-huh. with Mormon doctrine, there's a sermon from Joseph Smith that just lays it out really clearly about this is the King Follett discourse or sermon where Joseph Smith says, we have imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. Pause. We haven't imagined and supposed. I mean, it's straight up in the Bible, but whatever. <laughs> um, I will refute that idea and take away the veils that you may see. You have got to learn how to become gods yourselves and to be kings and priests to God, just as all gods have done before you. Implying the same with with God himself, that he was once not a god. Um, There's other quotes saying just that, but again, the Mormon doctrine is clear that God was not God from all eternity. He is the eternal God for us, which is how they get around a lot of the passages in the Bible that say you only are to worship God and God is eternal and he's our only God. They say, well, the only God for us um, the only god of the earth and uh, the only god of the, um, our eternities um, but again that's not that's not a fair comparison to the christian view of god which is that he created everything in the universe so they, d- they did not stand up for that distinction you kept <laughs> trying to show them theodore diligently like you believe in this exact like the, the eventually we got to the trinity um some point late in the conversation mm-hmm. which they knew to stand up for because they <laughs> 
they didn't try to fake that one but they don't believe in the trinity um one of the guys this is a low light for me one of them tried to um do the whole their that they're one god that jesus holy ghost and and the father are all one god because they're all unified in what they want um and therefore they're metaphorically one god not actually one god and we pointed out one that that's not what we believe that's not common ground for us and then two um, we pointed out the scriptures that say that um he you're to worship no other god and that i am the only god you know that all, all the isaiah stuff sebastian mm-hmm. brought it up we brought it up and, and they had the, no response the to fullness it. of deity dwelling in jesus in colossians um, yes yeah so uh, i don't know how they justify that difference in their minds it's probably the whole one god thing whatever just don't think about it too hard um they were they were prying at the trinity clearly they had heard about it before so i don't think they were asking genuine questions i think they were trying to attack the trinity um, but that's fine i mean that's what we're there for and yeah. i think they did a really poor job because we were ready for their their attacks on the trinity just like they were probably ready for our defenses of the trinity um, but they didn't seem to have any responses to the verses we brought up for the most part um when they sh- like Mormons know any elder knows the Isaiah passages, um, but they didn't respond to them. Like there is no God formed before me, nor will there be after me. Yeah, um, they didn't really respond to any of that. Again, one of them tried to put up a little bit of resistance, but it wasn't very much. They kind of just collapsed on that front, which uh, it's a low light for me because it just continued to muddle the distinctions between us because they weren't standing up for how they were different in that regard. It was odd. Uh, a highlight, I thought, and this might be a low light for the Mormon missionaries, was towards the end of the conversation, um, clearly we're not getting anywhere with, like, you tell us what's distinct about us, and, like, we'll compare here. It was really just us mm-hmm. attacking Mormonism. Um, so I was trying to pry out, like, where are the real differences? Um, and towards the end of the conversation, one of them was talking about the free choice of men and how everybody's going to get a chance at the end after death to accept Jesus, um, presumably us too, and all the rest, and that that's the only fair way for like people in the Congo who have never heard the gospel to be saved. And I was like raring to go on the whole pre predestination thing, um, but Theodore says, "Hold your horses." <laughs> yeah, so Sebastian. So Sebastian and Theodore both like explain. I mean, what did you say, Sebastian? You know, and. We'll uh, kind of go over that, or at least partially that, in the second half <laughs> of this video. It was the main traction we made in this conversation, but what, what did you say? What did you preface me with? Um, that the... Oh, I kicked off after... I forget what you said, theater, but that God judges justly, not just on our actions, because, you know, they might imply that, oh, the people in the Congo, they in the jungles of Congo, they have never even heard of the Bible or Jesus. So how could it be judged? How could they be judged fairly by our Christian standard, not their Mormon standard? Well, God judges us by the desires of our heart. And actually, one of the missionaries completed my sentence. That, yes, God dis- judges by the desires of our heart. I was like, oh, cool. Okay, we're on the same page. This is good. This is, this good. is, <laughs> this is good. Very important. So kick this off first by God is able to judge rightly based on what our intentions are not so much of the information that we have available yes that does play so don't get me wrong that does take go into account but also what we really want do we want to rebel against him or do we want to love him so that is how god is able to justly condemn people that want to rebel willingly against his natural decrees as you can see in nature theater talked about romans how the knowledge of god is made plain in nature so we just preface it of that. And then you went on to say. Yeah, I think Theodore's comments also were like that there's different degrees of punishment, just like there's different degrees of glory. Um, just in case they were thinking that we thought that somebody who had straight out rejected the gospel got the same punishment. It was just as bad as somebody who'd never heard of it. Um, it's not, I mean, hell is still a punishment, but that hell is somehow worse because the Bible describes it being worse for those who have heard the word and reject it. Yeah. Uh, so then I say that uh, the, the problem facing us is that this is not a um, lowest level of heaven versus highest level of heaven issue, that it's a heaven or hell issue, a life or death issue. And we believe those in the Congo who have never heard the word, they are doomed to hell because they have sinned, just like we would be doomed to hell had we not heard the gospel and repented. And so all the more is that, you know, 
reason for us to go out evangelizing like these Mormons are supposedly doing out evangelizing, trying to save souls. Um, but our understanding of saving souls is much more dire than their version because our version um, is between life and death and theirs is between like little life and, and big life. And he asked, because we had been making the whole time, the biggest portion of the conversation was on the distinction between um, salvation by faith and salvation by faith and works. That was the longest part, like Sebastian said, very difficult like getting them to understand or admit to understanding the distinctions between our positions and that we believe you're saved by faith alone and they believe that you're saved by faith and works. And um, he, so, so the missionary had this conversation about predestination, lands on him and he's like, well, do you think that me and these two other guys are going to hell um, just because of our mixing of faith and works? And I said, uh, yes. <laughs> That's why we're here. We're trying to save souls. We're not just trying to pass the time on a Saturday. Like, that's what we're doing. And he was very taken aback. But I understand. I mean, I'm saying that they're all going to hell. Um, but I wasn't, like, beating, beating the Bible over their head. I wasn't saying, like, because you're evil, die, 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 die. You know, be away from me, demons. I was saying, like, don't. So repent. You know, don't, don't go to hell. Um, yes, in your current state, you would go to hell. And I double down on that. In the current state, those three Mormon missionaries are hellbound because of their sin. Just like I would be hellbound and Sebastian would be hellbound and Theodore would be hellbound because of our sins. We do not measure up to God. You need the solely the, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the real Jesus Christ, not a fake version. And especially because they encountered us, at, at least us and probably other people, um, if they do not search out the information that we relayed to them, about the true revelation of Jesus Christ, then and that's on them for not having searched it out when they can, because certainly they're going to be held responsible for the knowledge that uh, we talked about. Yeah. And I'm glad it made an impact because a lot of the things we were saying were just kind of falling flat because they either didn't understand or they didn't want to talk about it or whatever else. But that one made an impact enough that that same missionary um, went out and clearly was affected by our conversation because he looked us up and and commented that he didn't appreciate the video uh, i i don't i'm sad that he's in turmoil but i'm also glad because that turmoil is a good sign of either conviction or something that's what i hope uh, uh one low light and i have to admit it was that the one of the guys whipped out a classic proof tip for baptism of the dead and i was oh, like oh yeah I'm baptism of the dead. <laughs> i was like totally unprepared so I point to the, the mormon missionaries there in that i said that nowhere does the bible talk about baptism for the dead and he whips out um first corinthians which is like a straight up go-to mormon passage i should have been more prepared um about where paul references the corinthians um those who are baptized on behalf of the dead um, it's not 100% clear that that's exactly what's going on, um, but it, but it could have been. And I'm just going to err on the side of that, saying that it could have been. Um, people were being baptized for the sake, uh, or people were being baptized instead of those who had already died, um, just so that they could say they were baptized. Um, it's a really odd practice. It's obviously not prescribed in the Bible, but it was happening in Corinth, and clearly Paul didn't see the need to like call them out on it mm-hmm. being bad. In fact, he says like, if you're baptizing people for the dead. Um, it's because the dead people are going to raise again, and that's why there's a resurrection. He was combating a different heresy at that time. So it's not prescribed in the Bible for sure, um, and it's not even really described except for mentioned by Paul that the Corinthians were doing it. And the Corinthians had a, a lot of issues. So I still hold to the fact that the Bible does not prescribe it, but yes, it does describe the Corinthians doing it. Um, so my bad, but uh, know that the Mormons weren't completely flat-footed like they did get, they did get that one. Uh, and then we ended the conversation around the hell point. Um, that particular missionary that, that was affected by that was was uh, moved in a, in a bad way after that. Not He was not raging or anything like that. It's still polite. All of them were very polite, but he was pretty much shut down and the other guys were. Um, uh, the last portion that they were saying was just that the, the classic old, I've got the burning of my bosom and I've read the Book of Mormon and I know it's true, um, which is just a... It's kind of the equivalent of the old Southern Baptist, like thumping the Bible and going like, this is the word of Jesus Christ, the word of Jesus Christ, which if you're winning, I guess that's a good way to like cement the winning, but they were not winning. Nobody was winning. And uh, it just was not a powerful testimony because I don't have powerful testimonies. Um, these particular guys and, and most people don't have like ridiculously powerful testimonies. Or, or ask, I mean, wasn't the question that was asked, what, I mean, could you believe that a 14-year-old... Uh, that was his bad, a 17-year-old, but yeah. 17, yeah, 14, yeah, yeah 17, 17 year old man or boy, guy, Joseph Smith, could write something like this? Oh. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't mean to mean, we, what we did try to stay away from, and I think we successfully did, was stay away from all of the history of the LDS church, which of course is full of absolute garbage um but there nobody likes to hear that and it's so like not theological that we didn't want we didn't want to talk about that because i don't think that's very productive it super puts them on the defensive and i know mormons are warned not to go out to the internet to search on the history of mormonism because there's too much fake information out there so they're not going to trust when we say things about the history of the church they're just going to think it's it's false um so I, i stuck to not talking about that i'm like joseph smith's history and brigham young's and whatever else uh, the most we said was like changing theology in the Mormon church, like allowing blacks into the priesthood and polygamy being banned and probably homosexuality in the future. Um, but he, he did the, the Book of Mormon thumping thing um, where he said, like, can you believe, like you read this and you think a 14 year old or 17 year old could have written this? And I said, yes. And I, I didn't really want to get into this. But just so you know, like the Book of Mormon is, is not impressive, uh, especially because if you look in your copyright, like here it says 1981 and 2013, um, clearly it's not when the Book of Mormon was written because it was um, republished many times and edited, I think up to four times now if I get my account correct, Um, because it was first published in 1830, and the original publishers asked the Mormons who wanted them to print it, like, you need an editor on this, it's got misspellings, like there's things wrong with it, the typesets wrong and everything else, and they said, no, it's the Word of God, straight up, printed. And so they did. So the original edition of the Book of Mormon has misspellings. It has phraseologies that are just straight up Joseph Smith's mistakes, like saying seraphims when seraphim is already plural. Um, he adds an S there because he's... He didn't know Hebrew. He didn't know Hebrew. He's not that educated either. Um, and so they say, like, how could an uneducated 17-year-old come up with this? Well, I believe it because it, it well, actually spelling like, it sounds like a 17-year-old um, made it up. So, yes, it does not testify well. And that's that's really where we left it. And after that, we just said, okay, it's time to go. It's been about two hours and 40 minutes. They stuck in there a really long time. They ate some of the cookies we had. I mean, good on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we prayed for, I, we prayed for them, mm-hmm. all three of us. And uh, you're still in contact with them. But it was an interesting discussion with Mormons, I think indicative of modern-day Mormons, probably, in that they were not willing to stand up for the whole differences at all really clearly they knew some of them more than they were letting on they definitely they did not stand for any collab we mentioned collab collab um, collab sorry i'm gonna keep using my twang collab um the planet that that their god is from um and they one of them sung a hymn with collab in it and he's like i don't know <laughs> i don't really know what collab is but i have this hymn for it and then one of the other guys said it's supposedly the planet that god is on yes uh, yes it is um they did not want to talk about like really deification or any of the like distinct Mormon theologies, um, except to talk about celestial heaven and eternal marriage and some of the like softer ones that people don't really care about. But that's that's modern day Mormonism, really. And I would be surprised if that group of men were not liberal leaning. Um, of course, everybody's different, so it could have been two of them weren't and one of them was but i've got a feeling at least one of them was more liberal leaning not just politically but but scripturally the guy who mentioned um muhammad also seeing an angel it's pretty universalist it's not widely accepted in the mormon church um that same guy i told them i said you may agree or disagree with this but i think the state of the lds churches they may just approve homosexuality in the next couple years because of the way things are going um that, of course, would be a straight-up denial of many other Mormon doctrines, but so was the banning of polygamy, and so was the allowing of blacks into the priesthood, so it wouldn't be really any different than that. And uh, some of the two of them might have disagreed with that. One of them might totally agree with that. So I don't know how that landed, but it seemed to land uh, at least decently because they all seemed to ponder on it. So I expect Mormon missionaries to be more and more like these gentlemen, fortunately or unfortunately. Fortunately for us because their arguments are bad, um, but unfortunately for them because there's no hope in that system and they they end up rolling off into atheism because of how weak uh, modern mormonism is is even versus old mormonism so that's Mm -hmm. not a good state for anyone and we do not want those gentlemen to roll into atheism which is even worse for you than mormonism because at least mormonism has a structure and you can live okay in this life even if you're damned in the next but atheism is hopeless in in both Mm -hmm. there you go that's my review did i miss anything guys you want to talk about on our conversation not on my end what do you have here that was pretty thorough. Thanks for letting me soliloquy long. Uh, that was the conversation. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. We're now going to do like a random grab bag of Mormon topics. Um, 
as they come to you, Sebastian, as they come to me, and especially you, Theodore, I know you've got the problem of evil at least on hand. So why don't you start the discussion on not related to our conversation with the Mormons, but related to Mormonism in general. What do you want to talk about? All right. Act two. Here we go. <laughs> so feel free to chime in whenever because I could, uh, I could be long-winded potentially at times. <clears throat> so I... Uh, I listened to some debates on YouTube. Uh, Jeff Durbin, James White, and Andrew Shlafslavilov, something like that. What a name. <laughs> All of them versus this guy named Kwaku. And you don't need to listen to his stuff because it's not good. Kwaku is um, one of those so liberal no, Mormons we were talking about, and not just politically. Right. Re regardless of the debate topic, he always devolved into, well, you believe that your God permitted the Holocaust. You believe that your God didn't want to stop the Holocaust or ordained it. And, yeah, he literally beats that dead horse for, I don't know, three hours. I think it's like sometimes. a two-hour, three-hour debate, yes. Right, it's crazy. So... It's a good, it's a good conversation. Okay, you should look I'm it up because Kwaku L is young and uh, he's facing a like old man <laughs> battling who was battling Mormonism for years. So it's like really unbalanced, not really fair to Kwaku as far as skill level. Um, but it does it shows you the state of modern Mormon missionaries, I think. Some of them. Um, and so I was thinking, well, what's the Mormon response to evil? And I found this speech on BYU's website. Um, and so I titled my little Google Doc, Response to Joseph Smith and the Problem of Evil, a speech by David L. Paulson, professor of philosophy, and he gave that on September 21st, 1999. So in his speech, he attempts to argue against the Christian belief that God is omnipotent and able to do whatever is logically possible. David Paulson says that this Christian view makes God ultimately responsible for all evil. And... So I just wanted to go to um, LDS sources and Joseph Smith to see what they say about this. So one of the quotes in the speech was, Joseph Smith denies absolute, absolute creation or creation out of nothing. According to Joseph Smith, God's creative activity consists of bringing order out of disorder or organizing a cosmos out of chaos, not in the production of something out of nothing. And so I went to scripture, but I used the Joseph Smith inspired version of scripture. Um, and even using their own scripture, we can see otherwise. So John 1 verse 3 says, all things were made by him being God and with, or God and Jesus. And without him was not anything made which was made. Romans 4 17. As it, uh, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not, as though they were. Revelation 4, verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for the, thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Um, and so one of the Mormon objections to this is, well, the word created used in uh, gen the in Genesis is like bara or something like that. And so they say, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that God created ex nihilo or out of nothing. But they say it means it just God bring brought order to something or God organized or orchestrated something. Um, but the fact is there are several words in both the Old and New Testament, that all mean to create. And they all apply to God, and certainly, I don't think they all merely mean ordering pre-existing matter. Um, so that was the first point. Any comments yet? Sebastian's looking up the Hebrew. Not the Hebrew, but I'm reading the Septuagint, because oh, okay. no, I, I cannot read Hebrew for the record, okay. so please do not. <laughs> not to that level yet. That's like Super Saiyan 3. Okay. Yes. Uh, it uses a very basic word in the in the Septuagint. In the beginning, God made the 
heavens, the heaven and the earth, literally. Poison, poison, poel, I do, I make, I create. It also can be out of nothing, so I personally don't see anything that relates to like you know ordering something that already exists. It's more, it, it produce would be a, a, a good word that encapsulates that, so... Yeah, I would disagree with their interpretation. All right. And then, so point two, and I just have three points for this. Point two is, uh, he quoted another uh, uh, another quote from Joseph Smith. Uh, he says, Joseph added, it does not say in the Hebrew that God created the spirit of man. It says, God made man out of the earth and put into him Adam's spirit, and so became a living body. Now, uh, Joseph Smith inserts a completely foreign verse into, into scripture in an attempt to nullify the idea that life came from or was created by God. Uh, Genesis 2 verse 7 actually says, Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now, Joseph Smith's version constitutes verses 8 and 9 instead of 7, because obviously he changes a few things. And his version says, And I, the Lord God, formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, the first flesh upon the earth, the first man also. And he adds this, in verse 9, nevertheless, all things were before created, but spiritually they were created and made, according to my word. Um, so I kind of think this is the chicken, and the, the chicken or the egg <laughs> conundrum. Uh, why are some pre-created eternal spirits uh, gods and others angels? Are they born, uh, as, created as babies or as mature beings? Like Adam. Was there one God prior so as to order or organize or orchestrate the chaos into a cosmos in order to raise up human souls to attain Godhood? And also, who gave that God the authority to pluck a spirit from the spirit world and throw it into a human body? Well, and you know, I mean, with the Mormons, when you started going after collab, uh, collab, collab, collab. <laughs> collab sorry, uh, and everything, their immediate response, and this is like every Mormon ever's response is like, oh, mystery. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, but they do know, like, uh, they should know because Joseph Smith talks about it. Like you're saying, he even inserts in his own translation what they obviously believe, which is that that there were eternal intelligences, that nothing is ever made, it always was, and that each god is is keeps exulting as was once a man and keeps getting exalted and is made formed by other gods but was always eternally intelligent and so likewise um again the king follow discourse that i read earlier on this podcast joseph smith says that you must learn how to become gods just as all the gods did before you meaning our god presumably had a god that he worshiped and we no longer worship his god because we worship him why would the bucks why why would a god like if we if we end up as as gods of our own planets populating like our heavenly father before us why would we point those creations of ours to worship us why would we, why wouldn't we point them to worship our god you know the one that we worship um it seems unworshipful to our god to have them worship us instead of him and so there's all these questions that get raised by um this whole multi-gods thing that uh, mormons refuse to answer because there is no answer to it And uh, two sub-points I had, uh, just two scriptures that mention God alone is immortal, and God can destroy body and soul. Right. Um, because, like you said, um, they say that uh, matter can't be created. It can only be, like, organized or reorganized. But yet, they also say that, uh, like, if you're sealed in heaven and if you have a spirit wife, then you can produce or create spirit babies so i'm not sure how that fits in well but. you you make the spirit of the you you give a spiritual body to the intelligence intelligences that already exist oh okay and then and then when they get formed on earth you send 
their spirit into the body. And uh, there's a whole belief in like pre-existence that before you were born into your physical body, you were conscious and awake and doing things in heaven, uh, your spirit was, and that um, consequently some Mormons, especially offshoot branches, believe that your righteousness in this life is determined by your righteousness in your previous life, some of that Hindu reincarnation kind of thing, that you're like, you were a good boy in heaven and therefore you're a good boy on earth, um, and that the poor are born into like black families and others you know, prior to the whole the whole racism debacle um very racist theologies in in mormon theology in that again like those who were born in the middle of the congo and never heard the word um were actually in a pre-existence evil now you saw the way we handle that um we say that god is the one who forms it's his choice to send people to the middle of the congo and so he does and they're not righteous just because they are ignorant um because they're not and truly again, ignorant but like we don't believe God that they did something bad in the previous life. Oh. Go ahead. He judges them according to their. These are like the two parables that I brought up in our conversation. He judges them according to their ability mm-hmm. and according to uh, their knowledge of his will. Um, but nonetheless, whatever deeds they do, they will be judged by. And if they're not covered by Christ's blood, then right. And that like totally Christ. disturbed our Mormon friends. Um, but again, this whole pre-existence thing of pre-existing spirits, I, got, I know it's like um, high-level Mormon theology, but it is legit Mormon theology nonetheless, um, is just like predestination where you're prejudged by something you don't even remember having done because it was like your pre-spirit. Not to mention the skin turning white thing. I mean, that's that's just bonus. Something that's not talked much about these days. It really isn't. And it's in, you know, of all the things that aren't in the original Book of Mormon, that one's in the Book of Mormon. So like... Even if they knocked off the Pearl of Great Price and Doctrines and Covenants and all the rest, like they'd still have that one to contend with. Oh well. And they do have continuing revelation, so like I guess God made a mistake. He is learning, you know. Right. right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I'm cutting um, you off. So you've got you've got creation ex nihilo is true, so says the Bible, as opposed to the Mormons made thing. You've got the insertions of Joseph Smith into man having an internal intelligence and only being formed by God, not fully created by him. Mm-hmm. And then, so we got first Timothy six, 14 to 16, again, in the inspired translation that thou keep this commandment without spot unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to whom be honor and power everlasting, whom no man hath seen nor can see, unto whom no man can approach, who alone hath the light and the hope of immortality dwelling in him. Um, So that, again, just shows God alone is immortal. God is the one who grants immortality. Isaiah 10, 18. And shall consume the glory of his forest and of his fruitful field, both soul and body, and they shall be as when a standard bearer fainteth. And this is echoed by Matthew 10, verse 28, which again mentions God is able to destroy both body and soul, whereas mm-hmm. Satan is only able to destroy your body. Right. Amen. The Lord is master of all things. Mm-hmm. All right. So this one gets a little more in weeds, but this is the final point. (laughs) So part of uh, why Mormonism claims that God didn't create us, I think, is to try to further absolve God of any responsibility in any relation to the existence of evil. Um, And I've heard a Mormon say that good and evil have been around before God existed. And to further uh, attempt to appease our ears, Mormonism seems to at least now uh, believe that some people haven't heard as much as they need to hear, but not to worry as they'll get at least another chance after death. But Joseph Smith wrote, under such conditions, it was natural for our father to discern and choose those spirits who were most worthy and evaluate the talents of each individual. He He knew not only what each of us could do, but what each of us would do and put to the test and when responsibility was given us. And when the time came for our habitation on mortal earth, all things were prepared and the servants of the Lord chosen and ordained to their respective missions. So this is Joseph Smith probably inadvertently admitting that God indeed knew 
what would happen when he put humans to the test. And yet he decided to put humans to the test anyway, all the while knowing that many of his children would fail their ordained mission. And uh, you could read a lot of Second Nephi. Um, you want me to read a, like a 20 verses of Second Nephi? Oh my gosh, what does that have to say? What's the meaning of this quote? Um, okay, so. Sorry. Second Nephi, uh, which further tries or further tries to claim there's an eternal pre-existence of evil even before the infi infinite regression of gods, which happens to be another inex inexplicable, fallacious belief in Mormonism. Um, but starting from... Second Nephi one eighty one. Um, I'm not sure if this is exact or, or if it aligns differently in a, in another translation. It says, "For it must needs be that there is opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass. Neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, neither good nor bad. Therefore, all things must needs be a compound in one." Wherefore, it should be one body, it must needs remain as dead, having no life, neither death, nor corruption, nor incorruption, happiness, nor misery, neither sense, nor ins insensibility. So I'm thinking this seems to be affirming the Mormon idea that a spirit body needs to be put into a physical body on earth in order to struggle with and triumph over temptation so as to attain maximum exaltation, glory, and godhood. Um, it also I'll skip seemed to, over it, some. It also kind of sounded like a, like a yin and yang thing. Like there's not um, there's not good without bad. So you need something's not holy unless there's something that's unholy. I mean, I kind of agree with that distinction point. It's not expressly made in the Bible though, so I wouldn't go as far as like holding that as gospel. Um, but we know that the Lord shows His justice by showing the unjust punishing through His like being punished in hell, and then equally shows His mercy by having sinners be redeemed so like there is some contrasting stuff that highlights god's virtues but we would not say that god was unvirtuous until those things happened we would say that he had those virtues and he merely highlights them when he mm -hmm. shows them off by using them yeah i think also just a general statement of the problem of evil um like you were even getting to theodore is that nobody escapes the problem of evil and almost every attempt to deal with the problem of evil is trying to get rid of it um, which Calvinism, Reformed theology, true Christianity, um, doesn't try to get rid of the problem of evil. It takes it on the face. It bites the bullet and says, yeah, God does cause everything to happen. This, this evil is actually in the grand scheme good. Um, that's the, I think the simplest approach. I think it's the true approach, the biblical approach, um, and it's the best answer to the problem of evil is that um, God is not unable, he's not impotent to stop the evil, and he's not... Um, he doesn't have arbitrary rules where he would rather not the evil happen, but he's letting it happen. He knew exactly what the evil was, and it's ordained to happen. Um, but in the grand scheme, it's good because he has a greater plan for that exact evil. And that way, you can look at any evil in the world and say, yes, it is It is actually evil to murder your neighbor. It's not not evil just because God allows it. Um, however, uh, that particular murder has a purpose in God's grand design, because he works all things together for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. So that's the way to deal with evil. And every other approach from Arminians, from Mullinists, from Mormons, from open theists, is always trying to avoid saying that, that God has any power over evil at all. Um, but he, he, you either have an, you have an impotent God in that case, and most religions don't believe in an impotent God. So like you said, it sounds like Mormonism is trying to back into the impotence in saying that evil people have always existed and that when God makes a spirit baby, um, you know, there's a roll of the dice. And if it's an evil dude, like, oh, well, like, <laughs> good luck, earth. Like, I hope this one works out well. Same with open theists. Open theists say that God doesn't know the future. And so he rolls the dice and there's a baby born and it's an evil Hitler. And he's like, oh, crap. You know, I wonder how I'm going to deal with this one. Um, and Arminians, not the same as those two, but they would say that God rolled the dice before pre-existence and went, oh man, there's there's some evil here. If I let people um, have free will, um, good thing free will rocks, as the Bible says in First Nephi chapter 8. Um, 
Just kidding. Nowhere does he say that. Nowhere is God beholden to free will. But in any case, they say free will is so good that God um, knew evil was going to happen. And he's like, well, it's got to happen. You know, it sucks. And it's not really for any reason except to maintain free will. But like, here we go. Let's hope it's not too bad. Or or it's not so bad because I know the, the future. In any case, um, you it, can't avoid the problem of evil. You have to, you have to embrace it. Okay. As amusing as it is, because you're preaching to the choir, I would say don't take it from Michael being cheeky. Take <laughs> it for, directly from Genesis, the story of Joseph. Read it for yourself. How does Joseph answer his brothers after he reveals himself to them? How after all those years, yes, they, the brothers, wanted to sell him to slavery. He says yes. And he even says, what you meant for evil, my brothers, God meant for good. God ordained the same event to be almost murdered by his own brothers, sold into slavery, be abused by the wife of, of the commander in Egypt, be thrown into jail. All of that, God ordained that. And all the people that were involved in that, except for Joseph, wanted bad things to happen during all those events. Whereas God wanted only good things to happen and makes those good things happen. Mm -hmm. So the struggle that people have is, I would say, ultimately, because they can't see the good that God has planned in every single event in human history, they come up with some strange explanation of why the evil is happening. I think I think the problem of evil, the, the reason people don't like attributing God to having full sovereignty is twofold. One, they know of some evil either in other people's lives or on their own that they're like, God couldn't have done that. But I, I, to me, and a bigger reason for me to even struggle with this, which um, thankfully I'm over it, but like the bigger, bigger block for me is the things that God is not doing. And I think that's when people decide, oh, he must have his hands off because if he was a real sovereign God, if he was willing to like do things in people's lives, then he would give me a million dollars. He would heal me from cancer. He would have made Trump president, like whatever else, right? Like insert your, your thing you wanted him to do um, and he didn't do, well, he must, he must, um, either not care or he must be unwilling to involve himself in human events that are small or he must be allowing evil for free will purposes like they try to come up with some excuse because they don't trust ultimately that he knows exactly what he's doing when he doesn't allow donald trump to be president or he gives your mom cancer or he makes you poor like that that's inside of god's will and i think it's way more peaceful to trust him being good doing exactly what he's given than to not trust his definition of good and therefore try to change something about him and he and we say this because he has proven himself over and over and over multiply that by a few million that he is trustworthy and good mm -hmm. all right theta we're like at the hour mark did you have anything else to say hey, feel free to i just let you know i go another five minutes yeah do it Back to Second Nephi, chapter one. And if ye shall say there is no law, uh, ye shall also say there is no sin. If ye shall say say there is no sin, ye shall also say there is no righteousness. And if there be no righteousness, there be no happiness. And if there be no righteousness nor happiness, there be no punishment nor misery. And if these things are not, there is no God. And if there is no God, we are not, neither the earth, for there could have been no creation of things neither to act nor to be acted upon. Wherefore, all things must have vanished away. So I think here he's arguing for the necessity of sin. He's saying there needs to be sin. Otherwise, he says there's no righteousness. And even more blasphemous, there's no God. Um, and then I'll just skip this part and go right to... <clears throat> Still in Second Nephi. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. So if you just take out the link in there, you see Adam fell and men might have joy. Adam sinned that men might have joy. How that I mean, adds up. It's kind of like fully embracing the, I mean, I, I would agree to a certain extent that God um, ordained that Adam to fall extent, to, for, for the ultimate like joy of his elect and the whole story here on earth. Um, but what doesn't follow in that Mormon thing was that uh, that man might be. Man is not defined by sin um, because our, our initial creation wasn't for sin and our ultimate reality, our ultimate triumph will not be in sin. And so man is not defined by free will or our sin. We are defined by the Lord who has a different design for us. So that's where that analogy falls apart for me. And then continuing in the very next verse from there and then just uh, like five more verses. Um. 
and the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good and evil, to act for themselves and not to be acted upon, save it be by the punishment of the Lord at the great and last day, according to the commandments which God hath given. Wherefore, men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are ex expedient unto, him, unto man. And they are free to choose liberty and eternal life, through the great mediation of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. So I'll just conclude my thought here. Therefore, David Paulson and Joseph Smith both believe and try to explain God to be weaker than the Christian God in order to prove him more blameless. And yet they devolve into describing something similar to the Christian God anyway, with regard to his responsibility in creating creatures that have themselves become sinful. Nonetheless, Joseph Smith still put into his supposed inspired version of Acts 17 that God, quote, hath before determined the times appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, so perhaps, oh, end quote for that. And so perhaps uh, Paulson would admit it is God's fault if they do not seek him freely, because as Joseph Joseph Smith wrote, quote, God created us knowing not only what we could do, but what we would do when responsibility was given, end quote. Yep, can't avoid it unless you make a really, really bad version of God, which Mormons are trying not to. The problem of evil exists, you have to deal with it, and the Mormons do not well. All right. All right. All right. Any final thought? Well, that's why we, oh, you have a final thought? Oh, no, I don't. No, I have no final asking. thoughts. That was my final thought. you have a final thought, Sebastian? Our call to repentance and trusting in the real God of Scripture who has revealed himself to be trustworthy, eternal, from everlasting to everlasting as a psalmist who spoke through the Spirit of God, which is God himself, three in one. And by trusting alone in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you can be redeemed from your sinful desires of your heart and spend forever not in some celestial telestial terrestrial heaven but his new kingdom here on earth with him forever and ever in perfect love and harmony yep and, and know this Amen. whether you come from a mormon background or a christian background or a muslim background or an atheist background you do not fulfill god's law perfectly you fall short of god and there, you, you cannot fulfill the law enough to earn yourself salvation. Even with, quote-unquote, Christ's help, if you're still relying on some of your works, you have failed, you will fail, you will fail and be damned. There is no protection if you're trusting at all in the law. And we say you should still obey and do righteous works through the law, um, through Christ, but there's only one defender of your soul on Judgment Day, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Sebastian said, if you come from a Mormon background, come from a Muslim background, come from an atheist background, come from a Christian background, the call is the exact same. It's to turn and fully trust in Jesus Christ. As Sebastian said, pray and ask that the Lord forgive you for all of your sins and that you trust in him entirely for the salvation of your soul and that you turn to him, the triune God, instead of the false gods of your forefathers or the false gods of your own past understanding you turn to him the true and living god and then you will be saved the lord protects his own and you'll be raised up in the last day into the everlasting life and have everlasting life even now in the spirit while you wait for the flesh to die and be remade so it is in that jesus christ that we have found our cause serving him i've been michael the man behind the machine and to my right your left has been sebastian the bookkeeper and then all the way across the airwaves the man with the plan today has been theodore under the pc all right if you want to see the rest of our episodes you go to foundcause.podbean.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. That is audio only, though. And if you want to see Theodore's camo shirt and our beautiful studio here at Found Cause Inc., then you have to go to YouTube or Facebook and search us up there. We're also on Spotify and iTunes and wherever else you might find your podcast. Do not listen to us at three and a half times speed, though, because we sound like <laughs> freaks. Um, until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.